And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of Weighing In. Weighing In 83, and today we get to bring you an interview with a recently retired fighter, Ricardo Lamas, who has had an incredible career in the UFC. We get to talk to him about why he retired, what his career, you know, as far as what were the things that he enjoyed, what were the things that, you know what, he's going to miss, all of those things. He is a great guy. He is still going to be part of the MMA community, still is part of owning a gym. Uh, can't wait till you get to hear what he says. We can be seen on all of the different platforming uh, platforms. We got now Amazon Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. I'm tired of talking about all these different podcasting things. Just put in weighing in and they're going to take you to something hit that button, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. YouTube is the one that we always talk about the most. But if you want to be part of the Weighing In community, you can get a t-shirt to show your support. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com. When you hit the Weighing In, you're going to see the picture of Josh and I. Pick out a t-shirt off of there. If you use the promo code GOAT, G-O-A-T, we can get you 20% off of that t-shirt. And you can make yourself the envy of all your friends. Joshua Thompson, happy birthday, my brother. <laughs> 50 years old. I love that. You look good for 50. It's if crazy. You were like 40, if you'd like 42, you'd be fucking not looking too good. But at 50, you look fucking great. I look phenomenal 50 years old. I'm telling you right now. And I've said this for years. For 77 years old, you look absolutely amazing as well. I got another year in there. I'm getting it. I'm yes. almost at 80, man. That's yes. cool. I, might, you know, I never thought I'd make it to 80. Probably about with, three or four with weeks. You were, with you around, it's very possible. Yeah, within three or four weeks, you'll be at 80. I'll be I'll be saying you're 80. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Maybe I'll try to keep you under 79 until you hit, uh, what, 60, right? Until you hit 60. You're 58. I, I I turned fifty eight in a week. Yeah, in a week. Oh, that's right. That's no, no, right. two weeks. Well, two normally weeks. normally we celebrate your uh, your birthday on set. So <laughs> that's because yeah, every time I got yeah. fights. Was it last? Awesome. Year, was it last year we were in Milan? Yeah, we were in Italy. We were, we were in Italy for your birthday last yeah. year, and the year before yep. that it was L.A. Correct. Yep. Yep. Look yeah. at you. Wow, Look wow. at the big brain on Josh, man. Steel trap, baby. Don't you guys ever forget it. <laughs> yeah. We know that's yeah. not true. We know that's not true. Um. Well, what did you think about the interview? You know, I really enjoyed the interview. I, I've always enjoyed Ricardo as a fighter, as a person. He's just a great guy. Very humble. Uh, outstanding athlete. You know, was very dedicated to his craft. So I have a soft spot for him. I, I I, I think I refed him, I want to say three or four times. I think it was three times. But, um, you know, he always performed so well. And the last one that I refed him in was the Max Holloway. And it had that moment at the end, which is, like I said, it's one of my favorite moments in a fight just because of both of them at the same time basically had this look there, you know, 10 seconds left. They hear the clackers and Max points to the middle and Cardo goes, you know, let's go. And they just started swinging. and. I just personally at the time I said, you guys are nuts, but I love this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite moments. So it was good talking to him. You know, I I didn't bring it up with him and I want, I was thinking about it, but I also, you want to be very respectful. Like, I feel like in a moment there, it's like, 
he, I wanted to bring up the fact that for a while, until he got his title shot against Jose Aldo, no one wanted to give him any respect. Not only oh, that, no. but the UFC did not was not pushing him at all. And that's because of his personality, just being yeah. a very nice, quiet, unassuming guy. Yeah, because I want to say he what rattled off four or five in a row. Yeah, four four in a row until he got the Jose Aldo fight. And then he had a couple wins, obviously, in the WC before that, you know, Dave Jansen and uh, you know, some other guys that were there, James Krause. You know, he had, he had a loss to, to Danny Castillo in the middle there, but he had rattled off, you know, five or six. That was, in the, goes, that was in the WC, wasn't it? Yeah, that was WC. The but Danny I'm saying when, when they yeah. came over to the UFC, though, it was like he had four in a row, right, when he got to the UFC. But they still were kind of hesitant to give him a title shot. I remember people talking about how he had his wins were, were dominant and they just weren't giving him the respect he deserved. And finally he got one. And I, you could tell in, ta in talking with him today that his... That like when I had asked him like what was the one thing that you know what are one th what's one thing you wish you could get back and he talked about extensively the Jose Aldo fight. So. Yeah. Well, it's always when you, when you get that you get that shot yeah. at the champ and you because it's the one thing I'd always say is the difference when you're the champ. You have to create the motive. You have to create the 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 drive, and as the challenger, so if you're Carter Lama is going to fight, you you have the ability to put a target on somebody and you're aiming at that. And so all of your training, every thought process of this is the guy I want to get to, this is this is where I want to be. And then you get to it and before you know it, it's, it's gone. You didn't perform the way you thought and you, that, that opportunity with all of that preparation and all that thought process going into it, it just seems to, you know, dissipate in two seconds. It's gone. And so I understand why he wants it back because if you go back and look, you know, he fought and that it went the five rounds and, he, and at the end he was doing well in the fifth round, but it's, it was a similar fight to uh, kind of like Mark Hominick when he fought Jose Aldo, you know, Mark Hominick was putting it on. Jose Aldo in the fifth round, but he let the prior rounds go. And, you know, and I talked to him in the back afternoon. He says, he goes, it just seemed like it was going by so fast. And every time I was thinking of doing something, I was a step behind. And that can happen in the fight because you're thinking about what you want to do instead of just going out and doing what you prepared for. Yeah. I think fans at home and of any sport, they need to realize that fighters and just fight, but athletes themselves train like you look at Olympians, they train for four years, three years, whatever it is, you know, to get to that Olympic platform and then they oh. get there and it literally is like a blink of an eye and the whole thing is gone. You talk to any Olympian, they're like, oh yeah, when I was at the Olympics, they're there for like two weeks, you know, and the problem is they're there and gone and the thing that they talk about the most is that two weeks was the greatest two weeks of my life, but it happened so fast. Whether they whether they won gold or whether they didn't place at all or whether, but the fact that they were just there, it's gone. And the same thing happens with fighters is people are like, oh man, they fought for twenty five minutes. Holy shit, that is the fastest twenty five minutes of your life. <laughs> yeah. Even though in the moment maybe it doesn't seem like shit, man. I got I got fifteen more minutes of this. I'm looking but, up at the clock. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're looking at the clock, going, I'm so tired. But guess what? You look back in your life and you're like, it's so fast. It's gone. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you. I, well, I don't know how many times I fought for five rounds, but it was a lot. And every yeah. single time I thought to myself, this thing goes, it goes by so fast. 
It's crazy. And like when you're training for it, you're training five rounds all the time. You're getting ready for it. And there's so much that you just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. I'm going to give up. And then you realize, dude, this is all going to be over soon. You know, and I think now as Ricardo's doing what I did, you know, a couple of years ago is that you're linking, you're thinking to yourself, you know, it's happened so fast. It happened so fast and well, it's gone. If you think about it, you know, I've always said, I, I used to use Lorenzo Fertitta as my, my, uh, person that I would say, look, you know, here's a guy that has everything man, super smart, great life, tons of money, but the one thing that Lorenzo cannot buy back is time. Yeah. And I know that Lorenzo was super close with his father. And how, how much of that money would he give to spend five more minutes? All of it. With his, with his dad. Exactly. That's my whole point. And so I used to tell people all the time, this is not about money. This is about time. It's the time that you spend is precious and it's going to go by and, and, you know, you can take a look at this, Josh, with your career. If I said, you know, let's talk about your career and how fast does it seem like it went by now? You know, forever. You know, I, I did thousands upon thousands of fights, you know, and it seemed like it's a blink of an eye. It's gone because yeah. you can't get it back. It doesn't matter what you have. It, you, you need to live in that moment, enjoy that moment, be there for that moment. I think, you know, that's what we talked to. Ricardo about is, you know, he's got a family, he's got kids and he doesn't want to miss those moments. And when that becomes the priority, then you're doing the right thing by saying, all right, my priorities have switched. They've changed. And it's time for me to walk away from the fight game and God bless him. I think he's right. Yeah. You brought up, uh, Lorenzo Fertitta and his father and then Ricardo with his, you know, kids, the one thing I, I would give it all away to have, you know, a couple more minutes with my dad. I lost my dad at yep. a young age. Um, you know, I lost my dad 10 days before I fought Dwayne Ludwig, you know, and Coker had called me and said, you know, Hey, you know, you don't have to fight. And I was like, my dad made me this way. My dad made me who I am. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard, but you want that mo those moments back. You know, he never got to see me win the world title. He never got to see me, you know, fight any of my three fights with Gilbert. You know, he didn't see me fight. And, and that was like, my dad was, very, yes, he did. Yeah, you know what I mean, but you yes, and, you know I'm not, but I didn't get to see the reaction on his face. Yeah, you know, you and get, so you those did, are you didn't get to share it with him. Yeah, exactly. And even if it was just a beer afterwards, even after a loss, I would have. It would have. It's something I would. I would give anything. I'd give it all back to just say, hey, you know, we had a beer together afterwards. You know, even if it was a loss, at least we had something to talk about. You know, we had plenty to talk about. I know for sure, but. It just it, Lorenzo or an, and with Ricardo. Ricardo's doing a great. I think it's a phenomenal. I think it's a perfect. He can still speak. He speaks very well. You know, um, he he obviously has a couple businesses that he's running that he's doing right now with the UFC. Oh, gym. so he prepared for the future. He, it seems like he has. You know, he has, it seems like he has. And uh, here and we talk about the how hard it is to let go of something you've dedicated your life to, but when you have that thing to potentially fall back on. It makes it a lot easier. Like, I don't really need this. When you hear athletes talk about like, oh, I don't need this sport. But then it's funny. I'll give you an example. It's Antonio Brown. Like, oh, I don't need this sport. The sport needs me. And now here he is a year and a half later begging to get back in the in, into the NFL. 
you know, it's the reason why you're begging is because you actually really did need it. Like you're nobody without it, you know, and, and a lot of athletes are that way. They think they're bigger than the sport. And let me remind everybody that you're not. And the sport will go on without you and there'll be more stars without you. And guess what? Those stars will be bigger than you. And yep. Ricardo never lost sight of that. He never lost sight of who he was. And in the talkings with him today, it's great to see that he's he's put his family first. He uh, has a great uh, perspective on life and life now with his kids and his family. And, uh, and I think I enjoyed the, I legit enjoyed the conversation with him today. It was phenomenal. Well, we are lucky enough to have one and only Ricardo Lamas on to talk to us about you came out and had a beautiful fight in your last fight, but you came out and said that that is it. You are retiring. Talk to me, brother. What is going on? Nothing much, man. It just felt like the right time. You know, I've been doing this for a while, uh, not getting any younger and, um, just kind of, you know, I, 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 I love the grind. I love training so much, but I just kind of get tired of being away from the family because uh, I live in Illinois, but I go down and I train in, in Miami, Florida. So sometimes my family comes with me, but now my kids are getting to an age where my son is in school and we don't want to like pull him out, you know, for a month to come, come down and, and hang out while I train. So, uh, past few times I've gone by myself and, uh, just don't want to don't want to do that anymore you know and he's at an age now where he's also realizing that that i'm gone for such a long time and i can see that it's having kind of like separation anxiety effects on him now so uh just felt like it was, i i don't think there was a better way that i could leave the sport you know getting fight of the night and putting on a good performance and that's how i want to be remembered well it was a fantastic performance but i totally understand what you're talking about when you're saying you know kids and family and, and a lot of people don't understand how much time you spend away from your family and, and those are all i always say time's the most precious thing you have because you can't get it back yeah and the, that time that you miss with your kids it kills you and it was one of the things that i know that uh, just in what i did i made huge mistakes in being there for fights when i should have been there for my kids and so i you know i commend you on making that decision what is it you're going to do from this point forward? Well, um, luckily, back in 2018, we, we invested in a UFC gym franchise. So we have one over here in Naperville, Illinois. So I'm just kind of shifting my focus over to there. Um, now, I'm there every day anyway, even while I was fighting. The only time when I, when I wasn't there was when I was in training camp down in Miami. But now just kind of uh, um, getting more involved as far as, as coaching people and stuff like that. and shifting in that direction um and exploring other possibilities for for more businesses so how how does your did you get the relationship with adam setlock the 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 ceo of the ufc gyms yeah actually when we started kind of talking with corporate it was a different guy um and then we kind of had to restart the whole thing because he left the company brian caligari it was uh hannibal yeah i know hannibal okay yeah, yeah. So he left the company, and then we kind of had to restart everything with Adam. Um, but yeah, he's been our our main contact over there. Yeah, Adam's a great guy. I was uh, working yeah. with Adam for several times. I was actually going to when I was still with the UFC. I was looking. They were asking me to actually invest in a couple of the gyms as well, and even put, potentially make it a Josh Thompson gym here in the in the Bay Area as well. Uh, obviously, I left the UFC, and that kind of went away with it, <laughs> which is yeah. but. 
But uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of good things because there's a lot of fighters. You know, Frankie and I are really good buddies, and he is he's done it uh, a couple times. I want to say, BJ Penn and I are really good friends. He's got four of them. I think he's putting a fifth one up in Hawaii as well. So there, it's given an avenue I think for fighters to have some sort of income. You know, coming in. I mean, I don't know about during this time because of what's going on, but uh, there is a little bit of an avenue there for fighters to be involved and keep doing what they're doing. That's one of the big benefits I think of. Uh, being with the UFC after they're done, if they can get involved with something like this, you know, but you have to build your name and your reputation to be attached to those names and uh, to that gym name. So I think that's a great, that's, that's amazing, man. Is it a small little box gym or is it a bigger facility like 30, 20, 30,000 square feet? We're uh, we're like a medium box. We're about 12,000 square feet right now. That's still a big um, size. Yeah. It's a, it's a decent size for our first one. And we're not opposed to potentially, you know, moving into a bigger space as soon yeah. as we outgrow where we're at now. So, uh, we're in a great area, um, big population and, uh, lots of families. Like the thing we liked about UFC gym is that it really incorporates kind of everybody, not just, yeah. you know, it's not a fight gym. So 99% of our members are never going to step into a cage and, uh, we have family. That's that a good thing. Food. Yes. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it is. I know, man. I know how hard it is to make money off fighters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so we figured kind of go that route and uh, help families out and help, help the average person kind of reach their fitness goals by yeah. showing them a little bit about what we do. When they had first opened, um, I, I would talk, I talked to Adam and Adam and I had started working together for some of the show, some of the uh, gyms in New York, in Soho and, uh, and then also here in, in Hawaii as well, or in Hawaii and then also here in California. And uh, I kind of helped write out some of their programs for their DUT programs for their daily ultimate tra uh, training yeah. or whatever sessions. So I wrote out a couple of workouts for them. We did like an animal style workout. We did like different types of uh, fitness and cardio workouts with it as well, not just strength. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of input on the on those type of training sessions. And then they when they had started doing those like almost like CrossFit style work, uh, what's it called competitions is really where they started kind of like growing. It was like a CrossFit style um, Olympics for the UFC gyms, which is pretty cool because they had like people from Hawaii that came over and competed against uh, some some of the UFC gyms in, in California, Torrance and in the Huntington beach and those areas. So they, they've had a good little program that they've been working on for a while now. And they're, they're, they're growing consistently. So it's a good little thing. Also too, the guy who took uh, the guy who used to, who started 24 hour fitness, Mark Mastroff, he's actually 50% or 51% owner of the UFC gym. And then the UFC is the rest of the owner. So now he, they already had somebody that, knew how gyms should work and they took the input from the people who are running the ufc gyms like adam and some other guys that were in the beginning portions of it all of really trying to figure out how they would run their programs and they've done a wonderful job man like, as far as gyms if you're not looking for a fight gym but if you want to feel like you're part of it their gyms are pretty clean and nice you know my brother was one of the managers here of one of the gyms uh here as well and i've got some friends that manage the the ufc 49er gym and uh that are the managers there so and they it's a clean facility and a lot of friends that i know that work out there it's nice yeah it's a great it's a great place to go and like the you know the other great thing about it not being a fight gym is you don't go there and you don't have a bunch of like meatheads with egos like yeah. you don't see guys trying to beat the shit out of each other blood everywhere so it's very family friendly and uh, I just I suggest it to anybody who's looking for a place to train. Yeah, I think they shook that like in the beginning when they realized yeah. it wasn't it wasn't fighters there. I think they thought they were going to, you know, once once everyone went there and they realized this is not these aren't fighters. These are just 
mom and pops that are coming to train. It's a twenty. It's basically well, like a that's, that's why it's successful. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> yeah, we've had, I've had this conversation with people that come into my gym. I'm like, hey, they're like, yeah, I kind of want to train. Will you be interested in? Like, I'm like, no, I'm not interested in training you at all. Because I, I own a couple of gyms and I'm like, nah, I'm not interested in training you. Like, if you want to jump in class and train with everybody else, I would love to do that. But if you want to fight, there's AKA right down the road. Okay. And they would Perfect. love, they would love to have you. They got a, they um, would love to use you like yes. a piece of meat. Yeah. It's, it's a room full of killers there. You go right ahead, buddy. Let me know how that turns out. So, um, as far as your retirement, man, like, you just, I wanted to, that's John asked the question is I wanted to know what you had lined up because that's one of the hardest decisions for most fighters to make. And the fact that you said like you have, you're already, your, your feet are already in with the gym and there's other avenues. Now that frees up some of your time as well for you to get another job. If you wanted to get another job or if you have, if you want to start another business or whatever it is it, that, that, cause it's, I know that's the one thing that fighters battle with like, Hey, where do I go from here? And you already have something established with the UFC gym and then also now with potential like anything else that you do is a little bit of free time. Is there anything else that you have thought about doing or that you are doing currently, you know, for an extra uh, bit of income? Um, I, I come from, you know, a wrestling background. I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college. Um, I'm still real good friends with my college head wrestling coach. And one of my teammates from college is actually a partner of mine in, in the UFC gym. So we've been kind of having meetings and exploring, opening up, kind of a, a wrestling club around here too so kind of a second an, another gym type area mm-hmm. but we're going to focus on wrestling grappling um and kind of move my jiu-jitsu program over there also so that's just just kind of expanding that way you know i i uh i got my degree in exercise science i've always been involved in the fitness uh industry so before um i started fighting i was like a personal trainer and that was a great job to have as a fighter because you kind of make your own schedule and yeah. I can revolve my clients around my training times and stuff. So that's something I'm always going to be involved in and probably, you know, uh, kind of go back into that area. Have you thought about one of the things that is a constant with every fighter, every person that's competitive competition? It's that, you know what? Oh, I, I just got out of a And you don't even think about it for a little bit. And then all of a sudden that, that little that little itch that little gnaw yeah. starts to come in there and it starts to eat at you have you thought about what you're going to do is there any is there another type of competition you're going to do or are you just going to set everything that's it decide, don't think I'm about gonna, it I'm don't even think work. about it just let it go <laughs> i'm telling you i speak from experience just walk away you can still have a conversation and talk don't do it no yeah. I, and i can tell you look i was i was 32 or so when i started refereeing and that's when i stopped competing and it was at least the refereeing kind of took that little bit. And I tried, you know, working that in. That was my new competition. It was a competition with myself, but it was a competition. So if you thought about those things. Yeah, I definitely have. And um, as far as fighting, you know, pretty positive that that's it. Uh, but I could definitely see myself doing some jujitsu competitions in the future. Um, another thing that kind of helps kind of keep me sane is, is, uh, in my UFC gym, we, we do kind of have like a little fight team, you know, like coaches that train that work there. Um, I work with a lot in their fighters and all that. Uh, and some other some other younger members that, you know, want to compete. We hold uh, kickboxing events, too. That's another uh, kind of small bi- side business that we've been doing. So I get in there and, and train with them all the time. So I'm constantly mixing it up with, with these younger guys. So that kind of helps scratch the itch of competing a little bit. You know, it's not the same, but. 
just being involved with the sport in that way and, and going in and, and training and rolling and sparring and doing all that stuff. Uh, I need that, man. You know, I've, I've, I've grown pretty addicted to it and it's something that's kind of always going to be there. I think. I think the, uh, the wrestling uh, Avenue and mixed in with the jiu-jitsu Avenue as well, uh, is phenomenal because I do know that, uh, like we had Ben Askren on, he talked about how his wrestling camps obviously during COVID have not been the same, but he's, you know, he's got a lot of members and I have actually, um, a girl named Carolyn Weston who is here, who runs this one called wrestling prep. And they've got anywhere between two to 4,000 kids every summer. That's a two week camp, you know, and they do it. They do two or three a summer. It's pretty impressive on how much how much she can make, but then how well she takes care of it. And the kids travel. And like when I see these kids, I meet these kids, they, she brings them an AK and they wrestle with the, you know, with all, with all the the top fighters. And it's just fun to watch because the kids are in, they're in a little bit of awe of seeing the fighters, but then also too, the next year you see them, they, they, they've, prog- they've progressed into the point where like, it was a little bit of a confidence builder. I got to wrestle with so-and-so. And then next time you see him, like, yeah, I end up winning state or I end up winning nationals or, you know, and like, and these kids come in and you'll have kids that are two-time national champs or, you know, or four-time state champ from whatever state they're from. It's pretty impressive. And I, it's like Ben was talking about how the avenue of them being able to be around top athletes like yourself, it, do, it does make a difference in the confidence building of young children on them being able to, to feel good when they step on that mat. So I love that idea of you trying to get, you know, doing more of that outside of whatever the UFC gym is doing. So, yeah, it's, you know, part, part of growing up in the wrestling world is giving back. So, you know, opening up a facility and helping all these kids uh, fulfill their dreams is something that we definitely want to do. It's something that's needed here in the area where we're at too. Um, And I I really love the idea of kind of fusing the wrestling and the jujitsu or or whatever to other type of grappling kind of together. Cause I know like if I would have, if I would have been training jujitsu at the same time that I was training wrestling, I would have been so much better. Like, look, um, looking back at it, I've learned, I've taken a lot of stuff from jujitsu that I could apply to wrestling that people don't really expect or, or see it's kind of, um, unorthodox a little bit, but it's, I mean, you fuse those things together and, and you can do great things. You're seeing that in wrestling competitions <laughs> everywhere now. Yeah. You're seeing a huge difference. I used to have, I used to have Kevin Jackson used to come out to my gym and would put on every year would put on a two day camp that all these kids would be coming to. And you know, we, we gave it to him for free because it was, Hey, you get to work with a guy who was an Olympic gold medalist. You get to work with a guy that's you know, a college coach right now. And is going to look at you. We would get so, you know, I had a, a huge mat area and it was just, there was no place to really wrestle. We had to pull people off, but it's always good to give back with that. And it's exciting because when you see guys that you start out and they're young kids not knowing anything and all of a sudden they're moving up in the ranks and they're winning and they're getting confidence, it's the greatest feeling ever. Yeah, it's like you're winning with them, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I've helped out a lot of a lot of the uh, other college wrestlers. You know, after I graduated, I, I stayed on as an assistant coach for a while, but then kind of moved away from it once I got serious about fighting. But I was always still involved in – um, my old head coach, Steve Marinetti would, would send guys over to me to work with and stuff. So I love helping them out and, and see them learning those techniques that I was showing them and using them. It, it, it makes you feel real good, man. I love it. Um, so now that, now that you are, you're done with the UFC is done with fighting MMA, but you're still a part of it. 
let, let's go back and take a look because there was moments that you had in your career. I was I was able to be lucky enough. You had that one moment with Max Holloway when you fought. It was the last 10 seconds of the fight, but it was one of my favorite moments in all of fighting. <laughs> you both looked at each other, pointed down to the ground in the middle, and just started swinging. And I, I personally at the time thought, both of you guys are fucking nuts. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. But, you know, the guys that you see, what's the difference you see in the way MMA is, even the UFC is today, compared to when you first got yourself into the UFC as a contracted fighter? I think the, the well, obviously, I think the, uh, the talent is going up because guys are starting to train all these different styles at a younger age, and now it's available to you everywhere. You know, there are gyms everywhere we can go train MMA. Um, another huge difference is, is the sport has kind of become a little gimmicky to me. You know, you got all these fighters kind of putting on acts to, to gain popularity or get, get the camera time on them. And it just, it kind of wasn't like that back in the day, you know, like if guys didn't like each other, great, but there was there weren't any actors out there, guys uh, putting on fronts to, uh, to kind of gain advantage with, with the fans or, or with the UFC as far as negotiating terms. So I think that was the biggest uh, difference that I've seen since I started. What do you think that was all started um, just because of the Conor McGregor era? Because I remember there was times when, Dana was very adamant about guys jumping weight classes. But then once Connor came around, I was like, oh, okay. Like you had to get rid of a belt or lose a belt before you could go to the other one. Randy Tour was one of them. You know, uh, who else was one of them? There was a couple other BJ guys. Penn. BJ Penn. Like they were, there was no way they were going to be allowed to fight another weight classes unless they got rid of the other belt. And now it's like, fuck it. Let's be champ champ, you know? And, <laughs> you know, and Henry Cejudo right now, I mean, even though he relinquished both of his belts, He's like, you know, he's talking about 145 and maybe they'll bring him back. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe he won't. But I'm like, I feel like it was the Conor McGregor that opened that door to that. And it's affected, like you were saying, with how people, uh, how people view, especially fighters view the sport now. Yeah, I think, I think kind of the OG of it was Chael Sonnen a little bit. You know, he, he kind of started with a lot of the trash talk, and he yeah. was good with it, and he was funny with it. Like, I enjoyed it all the time, and it was an act. I think Connor was the first one to show people uh, that if you get that star power, you can have a lot of control uh, as far as negotiating with the UFC. So as soon as people saw that, they started, you know, jumping on the bandwagon and, and trying to get a little control themselves. Um so I definitely think he was kind of one of the ones that that kind of sent him and Chael Sonnen kind of sent the sport into that kind of WWE realm a little bit with, with these acts that some of these guys are putting. So on. you're blaming our boy Chael. All right. <laughs> oh man, he was good. He was good with it though. Oh, he, he was fantastic. It. You know, and it's the funniest part since we you know work with him all the time, and there there are two. I I actually say there's three Chael Sonnen. There's Chael Sonnen, who most people would go, you're the most boring guy in the world, man. <laughs> and, you know, super nice. Love him. Then there's Chael P. Sonnen. He's got a little bit of attitude. Then there's the American gangster. And that's the guy that, that shit talks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is great at it. Yeah. If yeah. you if you ever get an opportunity to hang out with Chael at, like, in any events, you'll realize that he is not 
the American gangster. <laughs> the, <laughs> he is the complete opposite of the American gangster. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better stick to be played than Chael does with the American gangster. It's insane how different he is. Like when we do when we do events, he literally is just in his room, you know, filming shows or just hanging out watching TV or just reading yep. his news on his phone. We have had these conversations with him multiple times like is there some reason why you don't hang out with us? Do you not like us? Do you not? He's like, no, this is really just what I do. He's just so like, Westland, uh, Oregon isn't, isn't, uh, it's not the real gangster. Oh. Makes it out to be. <laughs> Such an exciting place. Wow. That's good. You know, yeah. One, one of my favorite stories about jail was his close to the end of his career was when he fought Tito because they really didn't like each other. Yeah. And it's not, and it's, it's one of the guys because, you can sit there and say anything about Anderson. So Chell didn't dislike Anderson at all, but he did dislike Tito. And then he, he loses to Tito and I, I was the referee. And then he came out saying this thing about, well, Tito actually verbally tapped when I had him in a guillotine choke and John missed it. And, and someone, well, someone asked me about it and I go, well, and my, my response was, well, Chell must be listening to a different, uh, a Voice. different audible setting than any everybody else in the place because it didn't happen yeah oh and then so then Chael comes back john needs to watch his place and stuff my what my wife's the one that always reads the comments so she's telling me i said let it go i said he's just trying to get a fight it's no problem <laughs> well then i see him right and he goes john how you doing i said good i said hey you need to do me a favor though and he goes what what is that and i said if you're gonna come up with a story let me know what you're doing and what you want before i start to say anything i, I I'll, I'll let it go i go but you got to be a lot smarter with your story. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, you said that he verbally tapped on a guillotine choke. Tell me how someone taps verbally <laughs> when they're getting choked. And he looks at me and he goes, that's a good fucking point. <laughs> just oh, man. Uh, he's right. a great guy, though. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to ask you probably, and you don't have to answer, but I'm going to ask you probably one of the harder questions uh you may get and even that you've been with the ufc for a long time do you watch bellator at all <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a fan of mma so i mean i've definitely watched bellator i've watched you know wsof pfl um i like to keep an eye on, on all the guys and all the different organizations because there are there's great talent outside the ufc so my my next question is i'm not asking for any title talk or anything like that but i mean how do you view um guys like you know patricio pitbull you know Emmanuel Emmanuel sanchez you know uh daniel weichel all these guys that are, have been in that weight class for a long time now and just been top guys i mean how do you view them and their characteristics of the ones that you do know of um i think they're great fighters i think that if they came to the ufc they could they could be champs themselves i mean we've seen crossovers before we've seen champs from the ufc go to bellator and then they're not champs anymore you know and then uh We've seen guys who weren't champs in the UFC go to Bellator and become champs. Uh, we're, right now, we're going to see what Michael Chandler does in the UFC. I'm kind of excited to see what what he can do. Um, but I mean, how, do you, how do you think he's going to do? I think he's going to do great. He's a beast, man. Uh, I'd like, uh, man. I'd he has like a to... very similar style to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's just very simple, and he's good at what he does. You know, he keeps it simple. He's very technical, and he just he works hard, man, in the gym, and it shows. But I think he's going to do great things in the UFC. Were you down? Were you down at training at Sanford with him, or so, like around that? Or? No, he's an MMA master. No, okay. yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I go to MMA match. Well, I wasn't sure if you, I wasn't sure if you had trained with him before, and you, or if you're just going based off of what you're, you've seen. No, him well, I've, I've never met him, so I'm okay. just based off what I've seen. I've, I've seen tons of his fights, and he's good. Like with MMA stuff. Masters, were you there when Colby decided to make the switch from American Top Team? You were in your last training camp. He had to be training for his Woodley fight. Yeah, he was there. Um, he would kind of come in and, and work personally with the coaches. So, like, I'd be getting done training as he'd be coming in to start. Um, so I didn't get to talk to him too much. Just met him and uh, said hi a few times. That's about it. But he was he was a nice guy, you know, very respectful, kind of not not like what you see on TV all the time. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Which yeah, you know, it's it's just one of those one of those acts that like I was talking about earlier. But I mean, like when we talk about the acts, is, is it really does it bother you or is it because normally the guys that are doing it though they do have some leg to stand on when it comes to how they they fight, and it really and and this is the one thing that Connor did he did was he exposed the fact that people mentally were not prepared for it. You know, yeah. um, you know, what was his name? Uh, Seaver. Uh, Dennis Seaver. Dennis Seaver. When he fought him, there was Dustin Poirier. Same thing. Oh, Dustin's Justin. a great fighter. Just yep. mentally got in their heads, and it just changed that how those fight. Eddie Alvarez, a classic example. Eddie, to me, is one of the best lightweights to ever walk the face of the earth. And, the, and he just... It didn't look good because Eddie was fighting him a different style than he would normally fight. And don't get me wrong, Connor looked phenomenal that night. But it just you could tell Eddie just was flustered at what was going on. Dustin Poirier got in got talked into basically a brawl. Don't get me wrong, he loves to stand and bang. We know that. But it was just not the type of fight you would normally see from those kind of guys and the, them using their head. And it just changed, I feel like, how these guys fight. And you see guys like Colby, who who make guys fight a fight they don't want to fight because they just talk. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's kind of necessary, right? A lot of this fight game is, is mental, you know, uh, leading up to the fight, you're, you're basically fighting against yourself, you know, until you step into that octagon. There's a lot of voices of doubt that go through your head all the time. I'm sure every fighter kind of goes through that. Um, and Connor just found a great way to exploit that and use that to his advantage. And in the fight game, you every any advantage that you can get, I think you need to take. So I'm not like I don't hate on it. It it was just never my style uh, to do it. So yeah, yeah, I, I never was a trash talker either. I just wanted just to get in there and fight because to me, at yeah. the end of the day, it was I was having fun. You know, yeah. I love doing what I was doing, and like with you, I love being at the gym. I mean, I just I was a gym rat. I just love being there, training in the morning, training the afternoon, overtrain, and then train again at night, then overtrain <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. Again. Yeah, and overtrain sick. again. Yeah, right. <laughs> same shit. Like every you're like, guy. What did I not learn from the last camp? I did the same thing over again. Yeah, yeah. I get you, but habits. <clears throat> well, let me ask you this: since you were in that featherweight division for your whole career basically and you fought the who's who you fought everybody basically that has been there you got volkanovsky is the champion now but who do you say was the greatest uh 145er you ever faced um i you know i had to be jose aldo he was he was at the top of the division for so long um and just watching him since the wc days so he was champion the wc came over and just was running through everybody wrecked everybody um in my time with the UFC, he was the most dominant, one of the most dominant champs out of any weight class. So I'd have to say he was. Okay. 
Yeah, I had, went, I had him as one. I had him basically as the pound for pound guy for the longest time, and people want to overlook him so fast. Oh my god, all the it's, time! Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So quick. And I, as much as I love Max Holloway, I mean, to say what Max or what what Jose did for 10, 11 years, and Max sure has beat really good guys and a new evolution of guys. That's what the difference is. If you go back and look at some of the guys that Jose beat, and you look at the style, and and I'm part of that that era as well. <clears throat> we just it, we we fought well. We there he did, he fought well. He did well. He beat good guys, but you also look at how guys fought back then. It was still very okay. I'm a stand up guy. I'm a jiu jitsu guy. I'm a wrestler. I'm a wrestler kickboxer. I'm a wrestler boxer. But now everybody's just really damn good at everything. And and now with like Russian sambo coming in, a lot of people now are starting to use more foot sweeps. A lot of people now are starting to use a lot more wrestling and different styles of wrestling. But yeah, to me, Jose is uh, has been overlooked so fast while he while he's even still fighting, you know. So I, I would like to see him get a little bit more credit. You have a lot of guys that are in there, like including yourself. But there's a lot of guys that just don't seem to get the credit they deserve, you know, as their career goes on. Yeah, a lot of MMA fans have short term memory, unfortunately. So. <laughs> no, they don't have short term memory. They have Joe Rogan memory. Okay, and that's because and this is nothing against Joe. You know, he's doing what he's supposed to do, but he hypes a fight or he'll hype a fighter because I mean, there was a point where let's T T Wood, you know, Joe Rogan said, you know, he's, he may be the very best, you know, pound for pound welterweight fighter we've ever seen. And I'm thinking, are you fucking high? <laughs> yeah, have you forgotten a guy that lives in Canada that right. freaking, you know, had two losses, you know, and more wins. It's crazy. But as soon as Joe says something, it's just, that's the way it is. You know, yeah. he's got that power and, and it's a, you know, it's a good tool for them to use and stuff. But sometimes you look and you go, man, don't forget the old guys because some of these guys were fantastic. And, and, and honestly, Jose is not that old. That's the no. difference. He's still, you know, able to fight well and he's still a young guy. You just got to figure out how to get past Peter Yawn. You, 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 know you know who's taking Joe Rogan's spot and doing that? Daniel Cormier. Dan Cormier. Oh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hype Train himself. Cormier, he already said... <laughs> Well, you already said uh, Chimaev is going to be the welterweight yeah. and the middleweight champion in 2021. <laughs> I go, wow, you didn't put any pressure on that young man. Jesus. No. DC has been known <laughs> to go a little over the top. Even like when we talk in training, he was the, is the funniest guy because he would just, he could sell fucking shit to a fly kind of thing. It was one of the, it was crazy. He's nuts. But uh, fun. So, um, going through, like, if you, like, if we go back through your, your career, can you tell me, is there a fight that you, you wish you could have got back that changed kind of the, either the, the direction of where your fight was going or, or the way your career was going or just one that maybe like just kind of you could have performed better that would have changed how your career would have went? Or you felt that you won that you yeah. didn't get. True. Um, yeah, you know, there's a couple. Obviously, the biggest one would be the title fight against uh, Jose Aldo. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I, I didn't perform the way that I could have in that fight, and that's one that I would always, if I could rewind time and redo it, that's that's the top one because, you know, I was kind of right there about to fulfill my, my lifelong dream of becoming a world champion and then just couldn't put the pieces together. So that's one that uh, that will stick with me forever and one that if I can, if I can go back and do again, I'd love to. But what about it though made you feel like it wasn't your what you had trained for wasn't your best? I think it was just the pressure involved with it. Um, 
I was being too cautious in the fight. I was like, oh, if I if I mess up and he catches me, it's done. And, you know, I just kept kept saying that throughout the fight until it was just too late to do anything anymore. Uh, last round of the fight, I finally created a scramble, got on top. And if I, I feel like if I get on top of anybody, um, you know, they're going to get hurt one way or another. So I was just – it was just the pressure involved with a, a world title that I wasn't used to. It was my first time experiencing it. And I just uh, – I just didn't perform to to the best of my ability. So let's talk about your last fight, because you 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 took a fight against somebody last minute. They came in last minute, unknown to most people. Uh, we all knew that he's a tough guy, but what was your mentality going into that fight? Because in the first round, he was getting some shots on you. He was doing really well, and things were not going your way. What was going through your mind? Um, leading up to the fight was pretty nerve wracking because I wasn't even sure if the fight was going to happen, you know, especially in this time that we're in with COVID. Um, as soon as I got the call that, that Hall was injured, I was like, great. So they're scrambling around trying to find me a, a new fight. They got it locked in, but even when they had it locked in, I was like, well, is he going to pass all the tests? Is he going to pass the COVID test? When we get to uh to well, we gotta we gotta give ourselves a COVID test before we even fly to Vegas. We gotta mail it to the UFC. Then we gotta do another one when we get there. Then we gotta do another one after the weigh-ins. And it's just there are a lot of what ifs. Like I was at the venue, right, warming up, and I was still like, "Is this fight gonna happen?" Like <laughs> kind of thing. Because one of the cameramen were there. <clears throat> There's a guy who goes around and takes pictures, and I'm sitting there shadow boxing before my fight. And he's like, oh, I'm happy to see that that your fight went through. I thought it wasn't going to happen there for a second. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, like, he kind of put that in my head that, like, something was going on backstage. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was weird. It was a weird feeling. It was a weird experience, an empty arena. Um, and being being in the fight, like, I didn't know how good the fight was because there was no crowd reaction to, like, yeah. tell me that it was good. There were no oohs and ahs. Everybody was really quiet in there. So it was just very strange to be a part of. Um, and I was just, I don't know, you know, he, he was being very aggressive, a lot more aggressive than I thought. So that kind of threw me a little bit. Uh, so I had to adjust and, uh, come that third round, you know, I was, I had to pull something out. So, um, I finally landed that takedown and, and got the fight to, to where I'm best and just kind of did what I did. Now you can go back and watch our show and we talked about it and we talked about your maturity, your fight IQ, and how you were able to make that adjustment that a lot of guys, they just don't make. They keep on trying to do the same thing, and the the wave just keeps hitting them instead of, hey, I need to get out of this riptide and swim to the side and then come back towards it. And that's what you did in that fight. And you had a beautiful, obviously, you got fight of the night performance, so it, it was fantastic. But that's that's yeah. another thing, though, sorry to interrupt, John, but that's another thing that you were talking about, the Jose Aldo situation, where you found yourself in a rut and you couldn't get out of it till the fifth round. But by then, it was too late. But this time, you made the adjustment going into the third, realizing, like, hey, I need to get this takedown. Hey, I need to make sure that I'm on top. I need to make sure that I'm dominating these positions because it was a close fight. 
you know, John and I had talked. I was like, you know, I, I think I had it one one if I went if I recall going back. I think. Yep. And I was like, man, I was surprised to be honest. I was surprised because I just knew you were winning the you were winning some of the exchanges when you were being the aggressor, but when you were backing up, you weren't winning the exchanges. You were letting him come to you. I believe that's as I recall. And so when we were having that conversation on the show, I said every time you threw something, and and my coaches used to get on me too about it. It's like. When you're offensive and when you're aggressive, when you're implementing everything that you have, every tool that you have, you're fucking hard to beat. You're hard to beat. So, like, just go out there and do it. It was when we get caught up in the waiting game of, like, okay, don't get hit. Hey, circle this way, circle that. It's like overthinking shit, and then you end up not pulling, ever pulling the trigger. We're seeing a little bit of that, like, right now with T. Wood. Like, you got to throw, man, if you're going to win a fight. You can't win a fight if you don't throw any punches. And you you made the adjustment, and that's that maturity I think that John was talking about between the Jose Aldo fight to your last fight. Yeah, I think the big you know with Aldo too, he had this big aura around him. You know, like I was I remember like in the announcements, you know, when they're introducing us in the cage, I'm like sitting there thinking like I'm fuck like how many times have I seen this where he's fighting someone else for a title fight? You know, they're introducing Jose Aldo and he's doing his head down, you know, not looking at you thing, and I'm like he's doing that with me right now. This is fucking crazy, like. <laughs> So it was just that whole thing, right? It was like I couldn't. The things that go through it. your mind. Yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I was like, "Holy shit, this is happening with me right now." So it was very surreal, and, and you know, like Josh said, you can't think in there. You have to let your training take over. You have to let uh, your instincts take your body over, and you just have to react when you're in there. If you're thinking, the opportunity is gone already. Give me, give me a story. Give me any story. Uh, your of your fight career. Careful. That, that, yes, very careful. Be very careful. <laughs> be. Give me a story of your fight career. Give me something that nobody knows. Like, tell me something that happened to you backstage. Tell me something that happened with you at the UFC without stepping on anybody. You know, just in give me, fight? give me something. Yeah, anything in a fight. Tell me good, a fight. Good, bad between, doesn't matter. Yeah, between rounds. Tell me a funny one. Tell me a serious one. Tell me one that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Yeah, it was actually, there was one uh, when I fought Holloway. So you were refing that match, uh, John. And it was in uh, California at the Forum. Yep. So there were, like, celebrities there and stuff. And um, me and Holloway are going at it. We're kind of up against the cage. I think I'm trying to go for a takedown. And he's got those really slick guillotines. He's got those long arms. So I felt his arm slide across my throat. And so right away I spit, I uh, spun out of it. And we ended in an awkward position where I was kind of like, you know, almost facing the ceiling with my neck wrenched back and I was fighting the guillotine. And I turn and look in the crowd and me and Tommy Lee lock eyes with each other. And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) and like, I almost wanted to give him a thumbs up because like we were serious. We locked eyes and we were looking at each other. He knew I was looking at him. So that was crazy. I was like, holy shit, I'm looking at Tommy Lee right now as I'm fighting a choke off. (laughs) So that was, you know, funny things like that, you know? Yeah. That's great. What about anything between you and your coaches and corners between rounds that, you know, like might be fun? Cause like with my, with my coaches, they would, they would always like, they would talk to me, you know, but we would also have some conversations that were not fight related at all. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I would also, I would also spark up some interest, some interest and I'd be a smart ass. I was one of those guys that always had to fun, have fun between rounds. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, ring yeah. girl would walk by and I'd tap my corner. Bob, you see that? <laughs> You know, like just one of those things, just for fun, get my mind off the what's really going on, 
you know, and Bob would just shake his head and laugh. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, or you see the girl in the second row back there with the blonde hair. Like that's yeah. kind of what I would do just to have fun. But is there anything that you guys would do? Like not just in the, in the cage, but in the locker room preparation, things like that, that most fighters wouldn't know. Um, I was, you know, when it, when it came to fight day and stuff, I was pretty serious and locked in like people, people that know me outside of fighting and, and inside, it's like two different, two different Ricardo Lamas's. Um, so I was really serious on fight day and, and during the fight and all that. And my corners were pretty serious too. Uh, I don't think you find Brazilians that joke around too much when it comes to fighting and stuff, but, uh, no funny stories with that, that, that I could think of, man. Hey, hey. Good, but honestly, great, great career. You had, um, you had a lot of great fights, you know I mean? Like if, if I was to tally up your career with, you know, a, a lot of these other guys that are fighting right now, they have a lot of work to do to catch up to you, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I just want to tell you, man, first off, it was always an honor being able to, I think I got to ref you like three, three, four times. So always an honor being in there. You were always a class athlete, great competitor. And you know what? You raised the, uh, level of mma and so thank you for everything you did it was a joy watching you no thank you too john you know the first fight of mine that you wrapped that was a, a check off my bucket list you know growing up being a fan of the ufc and obviously you you started with it so um that was a very surreal moment in my career too when i had you as, as a ref for the first time stop well, blowing up his head his head's already yeah, big enough <laughs> right. i gotta get bigger you. and bigger <laughs> we see those headphones he's wearing i actually have to grease his ears so he can just slide them on yeah i'm just like uh, i think he gets he gets botox in his ears so when he gets hot in the oh, room now it's it starts to swell it starts to swell you a little bit have wrinkles like this and be a sharp puppy with botox. Uh, it's so great and we were talking about this off air have you noticed that he's got nothing but gray hair on his chin but no gray hair on his head you know what that is right he dyes his hair he dyes i think oh, i believe so he does i believe he yeah. does i'm just, day i die it uh-huh <laughs> let me know what products you use because i'm starting to see the grays in my oh, dude, just, oh yeah it comes on oh birthday boy yesterday he had his birthday yes know, i did years old for josh Happy birthday. 50 years old man <laughs> old man <laughs> well you look great uh, well he says i, I, I appreciate it so yeah john's gotta be what he's 77 like what this next I week i don't know i keep coming I, up about every three weeks i grow another year yes yes that's the way that's the way i do it around here <laughs> i'm not even i don't even get dog ears uh that's true no 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 it's we're faster than that around here we got to get it going we got to get it going it's hey great. whatever you're gonna do ricardo man best of luck if you ever need anything man let us know but just enjoy life enjoy your family you're doing the right thing man. thanks a lot guys appreciate it. thanks for having me on the show yeah if you have anything that you want to pump like you know for your if you're gonna do the new gym with uh jiu-jitsu and wrestling you have anything you want to pump you want to talk about it and things like that give us a call we'd love to have you back yeah. on, brother awesome appreciate Absolutely. it thank you take it easy my man take it easy brother well i think i created some controversy with my twitter account oh what did you talk about now let's have this conversation <laughs> what are you doing gosh why oh my god i because i you know i just enjoy i guess shit stirring but even though i wasn't trying to but it was like i'm why you know because i was watching the uh the ufc which was a great great show and everything mm -hmm. and and they bring megan olivia comes out and talks about you know kazmat chemaev and mm -hmm. if he gets a, you know this would be his third fight if he gets a win the fastest three wins in ufc history and so i was like what are you talking about yeah fastest three wins you know and now people are saying, well she was talking about modern era and so you know because i had tweeted out look 
you know, sorry. And yeah. I wasn't being an, I was not trying to be an asshole. I was saying, hey, sorry at UFC and Megan Levy, but, you know, that's not the fastest three wins. That's 66 days. There were guys, you know, and I said, you know, Hoist Gracie being the first UFC one, UFC two, he did four fights in a night. And why are you coming up with fake stats to promote a guy mm -hmm. who doesn't need them? The kid is phenomenal. Yeah. Why? You don't need fake stats. It, it doesn't do anything. It's like, you know, sometimes we get stats, you know, from Bellator and it says, you know, we'll be tied for the fifth most. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Fifth most. <laughs> you're either number one or you're not. Yeah. Okay. And so. If you're not first, I, you're last, buddy. <laughs> and I, I look at it and I did not say it to be mean to anyone. I was trying, I was trying to say it in a nice way, you know, and then uh, as so many people came back and, you know, agreeing. And then I, I would get the couple, you know, that would come back and, you know, you just say that because you hate the UFC. People, so you know, I'm telling you right now, I don't hate the UFC. I happen to watch every one of them, and I love the UFC. I just am the person that knows that sometimes people involved with the UFC try to rewrite history, and I am the proverbial fucking pain in the ass that knows the history and will <laughs> always call you on it because it's wrong to try to take people out of the history of the sport. Those guys did something. You want to talk about the guys in the in the past not being as good as the guys of, the, of today? I agree with you. You'd be right. But when you sit there and you tell me that a sport that has been around for 27 years now has a modern era, there's no you have you have athletes that have careers for 27 years. Yeah. Okay, not a lot, but there are some. So I guess they were in two different eras. Give me a fucking break, dude. There's no difference. What was done in the past? Guys like fucking Hoist Gracie fought more than one fight in a night, three fights in a night. Randy Couture, two fights in a night. Mark Coleman. Marco Huas, three fights in a night. Mark Coleman, three fights in a night. Dan Severn, three fights in a night. Those things all happened. They got three wins in one night. So that's to true. sit there and say that, oh, no, that's different. I had people say, well, that's because, you know, they, they, they have the difference because Hoist was wearing a gi. Well, Mark Coleman wasn't wearing a gi and Dan Severn wasn't wearing a gi. And come on, man. This is a matter of there's ways to promote this kid. And it's all about his fighting. And the fact that he does fight a lot is something that you bring up. No doubt about it. And then the fact that he wants to fight. Okay, awesome. But don't say he's setting a record. I'd want to fight no too if all my fights were a minute long. <laughs> so I'd be like, yo, show seconds. me the money. I mean, look. 17 seconds. I, I get where you're coming right. from on all this, but my my take is more on the other side where the the commentary, you know, you brought up during the Lamas thing, the Joe Rogan effect. But I look at it more like DC and other guys. Like, you guys, stop, stop putting these guys like they're Michael Jordan already or they're GSP already. Like DC well, you're putting so much D pressure. Yeah, you're putting out. I don't think he's going to feel the pressure because he seems like he's just he like, might not. He may not. But I think all the things that go around it, just the more media, the more stuff that comes with it, everyone with the microscope is going to be on him. And here's the thing. He potentially could be the welterweight champion or the middleweight champion. Possible. It's very possible. But DC said he's, he could be both at the same time. In, in 2021. In 2021. That's very... <laughs> don't, I, 
Don't put any pressure on the guy. Yeah. So no pressure at he, all. He may handle the pressure just fine. But when you're putting that, I just want to, it's not him that you should be worried about. It's if he does falter or does falter any moment, you're, it's going to, what's going to get on him, I think, is just the media and the fans after he loses. Because well, it will be like he was always trash. We fucking oh, knew he was garbage. He's, we knew this. Yeah. We knew that. You can't. Bull. I'm not saying that he's gonna Kid falter. Is amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. He's absolutely. I I love watching. And I'm I'm actually addicted now. I'm like, hey, if he's on the card, I would definitely want to see what happens. Oh yeah. But the problem is, is I think he'll stumble at some point. Not look. Maybe not lose. But someone's gonna figure him out a little bit. Oh. And we're gonna well, see how his cardio is also too in the end of the second or into the third Josh. against someone who's fighting back. There's levels to this, okay? And when I say mm. levels, that does not mean that Shemaev cannot fight with, you know, the, the welterweight champion of the world right now, Kamaru Usman. He's going to give Kamaru Usman problems. That doesn't mean that he's going to beat him. Yeah. Okay, but he can be in a fight with him and give him problems. He could do the same thing, we'll say, with, you know, Israel Adesanya at middleweight. He could give Israel problems. He presents problems for Israel that other fighters might not. But Israel is of a different level too right now as far as the guys comparative to who he has been fighting so far in the UFC are here and the guys that we're talking about are here. So can he can he breach that gap? Maybe he can. But it's a big gap. You know, and, and it takes time to learn how to make those steps and not get caught by somebody he made, you know, he's making leaps and, you know, from one jump to the next and maybe he'll continue to do it, but we're putting pressure on or, you know, commentary is putting a, an undue amount of pressure on a kid that, Hey, he's great. I'm not in any way downplaying how good he is, but to say that he's going to be the double champ, in one year, wow! I mean, yeah, you're putting expectations on him. Wow, that, that well, he could he can most likely meet. Then, pe then people are going to, as you say, if he loses, then he's trash, and he's not. He's not. He's fantastic. No, so. he's gonna be. He's gonna. I think he's gonna be. But we do this. I think he'll be great. I want to see what he looks like at the end of the second, into the third kind of fight where he's in a dog fight a little bit. I just don't know after looking at both the 85 and the 10 and, and the 105, the 805, the, <laughs> well, one, the 185 and the 170 pound weight class. He would, I'll tell you right now, he'd be champion at 105 right now. 105. You think so? I don't <laughs> know if he can make the weight though. You gotta make, you gotta make 105. Well, he was exactly. gonna make a weight, but you gotta make 105. 105. <laughs> he's gotta make that weight exactly though. Not 106, yeah, not 106. Yeah. There's no if, one if it was 106, on. he might make. Yeah, he might, he might be able to make. Um, both his legs off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think if we look at the 170 pound weight class, I think he can do it. I think he can get up all. I think he can get. I think he has a good chance. We'll see how he does against Damian Maya, but I think I think he beats Damian Maya. Just we saw the power he possesses at 185. Um, you know he it's so clean, so smooth the way he just threw that one punch. I know I'm judging it based off of the one punch. Yeah, but, but it like was you the, said, it was you look at the way it was set up. Yeah, the way it was thrown was not overextended. Did not loop straight from the chamber. Yeah. You know, you know, hey. and then we've seen his wrestling. We've seen a little bit of his grappling. Now, obviously, Damien can't be under underestimated. Uh, one mistake and he the fight can be over. does not want to get into a no, grappling match does with not. Damian Maya. We'll see how good his wrestling hey. is. If he can stop, you know, we, I want to remind people, Damian Maya was able to to lateral drop Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen was a Olympic alternate, I believe, correct? 
national level. Yeah, national level. Yeah. So, anyways, like you're looking at that part of Damian Maya does have the tools. He is obviously a lot older than when he fought Chael, uh, but he's able to been able to, he's been able to take down some of the best wrestlers and also some of the best anti wrestlers like you know George Mazadal. He was able to take Mazadal down. I mean, Kamaru Usman had a hard time taking Mazadal down a couple of times. You know, there, there's there, there, like you said, there's levels to this game. I just don't like when they stamp, like DC puts the, the stamp on them. Okay, look, I'm all in. I'm all in, too, on the kid. I'm, yeah, well, I'm, be, being all in and putting expectations are yeah, two different things. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And then I, I don't want it. Like, I, I don't think he's going to be affected on the way up. I don't think that's going to affect him. I think once he does in, uh, encounter some rough roads, some rough waters there, and people start saying, I told you he was fucking garbage. I told you he was shit. Ah, he's not as good. Like, he is no, his wrestling is not as good as people said, or his striking is not as good as you know we thought it was going to be. And that's going to maybe start to wear on a little bit. And then, then, then the pressure comes. That's when, the, that's when people in the media get to you and questions come. Right now, it's fucking peaches and cream because you do your starching dudes. And you're oh. make, yeah, you're making them look bad. And I, you know, like you're fighting guys that don't even look like they, they don't, they don't belong in there with you. But so when you get into those guys, when we look at the the 170 pound weight class in the welterweight division, I get all the way, all the way, almost all the way up to Colby before I'm like, okay, maybe we could see a little bit of problems. But I think he could, if it depends on how good his wrestling is, he's looked good with his wrestling now, but can he stop Colby's relentlessness for three rounds or five rounds? If it's five a five, you know what I mean? Like we've seen Colby, what he's been doing to people, just breaking them mentally outside of Usman. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know in that. You know, 170. I I would like to see him fight George Moss of it all, only because George is good on the feet, could stand with him, and George is good, oh, fucking yeah. phenomenal anti wrestling. He's got good takedown defense, and he's no slouch on his fucking back either. And jitsu wise, he's good. He threatens a lot of guillotines to keep you off of his legs. You know that makes for a fun fight. If I was George, I wouldn't take that fight because you don't really know enough about him yet. And there's you know obviously a lot easier, not easier, but better. Money I don't know. There's, there's there's two ways to look better at better money fights. Well, there might be, but there's two ways of looking at it. And you go, do I want to catch this guy now as, as early in his career as I can now and get that win against him? Or do I want to take him on two years down the road when he's two years better? Cause he's going to get better. He's going to get better. Yeah. You, know? you so have that Mayweather Canelo, that Mayweather Canelo thing. Let me jump on him when he's 20 you know, and just touch, touch and make him fight my fight. Or do I want to ju- try to like beat him later on when he's better and more powerful and has a strong and understand, mind and understands, understands the, the game, game better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a catch 22, I guess, but for George, Dude, it, would... is, it is a definite catch 22. Yeah. I don't want either. Just let, let that guy go to the side. Yeah. If I was, if I was George, I'd fight Nate or I'd fight Nick or I'd fight, you know, maybe even the Colby fight because that puts you right there at the number one title contention again. Chimeyev's not going to give you that number one title contention. And no. You need a little bit of right your name to actually make a lot more money off of him, I think. So uh, I think I think right now, George being towards the end of his career, he's like, whatever pays me the most money is where I'm going to go. Which is smart, smart on his part. Smart on his part. Yes. He deserves it. He's been around the game for a long time, and I'm glad to see him finally getting his due. Um, do you, let's. I, I want to be very careful how I, um, if we want to even do this. Colby Covington, LeBron James. <laughs> well they sit Do we on even two... want to have this conversation not really this is not political really. it's, it's political like... i don't want to get political but i do want to answer i do want to say one thing 
for those people, and, and I know the MMA fans aren't thinking this, but for those people that think LeBron would stand a fucking chance against Kobe, you guys are absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It's, it's right. I see Twitter just blowing up how LeBron would kick Kobe's ass or oh, you know, sure LeBron's would. too big for him. And this, uh, and Colby, 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 would, Colby, would, Colby would beat LeBron in a fucking basketball one-on-one too. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's just so, it's so, it's just, it baffles me. And we've had this conversation about people at the, uh, at bars, how, you know, they feel like they can beat up MMA guys. And so, you know, just, I want people to understand, and I've said this, I don't know how many times. I have white belts in my gym. They come in, they train for six months and they're just getting just fucking tore up by like other white belts that have been training for a year or other blue belts, you know, that have been training for two, three, two and a half years, something like that. They're just getting tore up. They're like, I'm not getting any better. I'm not getting any better. This is horrible. And they want to quit. And within like a couple of weeks, somebody new comes in and they're bigger and they're stronger and they're, you know, they're big. They're like, you know, what they could be cops or they could be whatever. They could be, you know, big guys. And they just mop the floor with them. And they're small. These are small guys, like, you know, 125, 130 pounds. And they were able to submit guys left and right that are new that come in off the street. That's how much training you really need to have any type of skill level to beat someone who has no training whatsoever. And LeBron James may be an athlete, but that's but the he difference. does not stand a damn chance. That's the difference. And this is where people, you'll say something like this and they'll go, well, I had a friend who was a wrestler and, and in street fights, he, he was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he had training. That's training. Okay. We're not talking about someone that has had not had no combative training at all. And wrestling is a combat based sport. So if you're have trained in wrestling, you've trained in fighting. I doubt that LeBron has trained in fighting in any fashion other than maybe he's hit the mitts, you know, for uh, getting a workout in. So he's he's done his Stephen A. Smith workout of the day. Uh-huh. Yeah, practices his dick punch. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking baby killer dick punch. punch, baby. But Jeez. I mean, you know, to, to sit there and to say, you know, it's like saying that Colby could fucking, you know, you could spot LeBron James, you know, 20 points in a, in a, in a, I mean, Basketball spot line. Colby, 20 points in a 21. And guess what? Colby is not give him the ball and Colby's not going to beat him. No, but in a fight, LeBron's not going to beat him. You know, I, I saw, I saw what LeBron did as far as his little press thing. And he said the thing about, you know, uh, you know, 10 seconds or whatever it was people, you know, you put them into that, you know, competitive sphere mm-hmm. and put them in there. And within, you know, 10 seconds, they're going to be shitting their pants and something. He's right. In the cage or on the court. Yeah. 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 You know, he's right. You know, and and it's the truth. But trust me, you're shitting yourself a whole lot more when you are not a trained fighter Mm -hmm. and you're going to go against a trained fighter. It's a, there's a whole big pucker factor. I only wanted to talk about it based on the fact that, like, I want, I just, I started reading the Twitter comments, which is my biggest mistake. Why? It just was, I wanted to see where people were going with it. I thought MMA, like MMA fans came out and were like supportive. They're like, oh man, this is, it's not even, Come on. it's not even close. No. You know, I mean, but I, I also give this example as well. And as much as people know that I pick on podcast day, but this is another example. I will like, I'll goof around and kind of hit him in, or kick his leg or whatever. And it's, it's bru- like he, oh, ah, uh. And it's not nothing against him. That's just the normal feel for the normal person. If Colby was to kick him or punch him or anything like these things, they're not, they're not conditioned or trained for any of this type of abuse. 
you know, and even myself, I it just, it's so funny. I'm working with a couple of the fighters from AKA right now, training at my gym, holding mitts for them and things like that. The, one of them has been working, obviously a lot of stand up, and he's been kicking the bag a lot. The other one, he's mainly a wrestler with boxing. He doesn't kick at all. So I've been having him kick on the heavy bag. He absolutely hates it because it hurts. He's like, my shins hurt, my leg shins foot, are killing him, yeah. it's killing him. And I, even though I fought for 20 something years, I kicked the bag now. I'm like, ooh, this is even a little harder than I recall because <laughs> I haven't done it in three or you four get, years. You, it's, it's what we call it. You get soft skin. Yeah. You do. You know, you, you can, your body gets conditioned to that constant bang, that grind, that pressure, that, you know, that just that contact. You get conditioned to it. And yeah. then when you don't do it, Trust me, the conditioning goes out. You know, we had a little thing we were screwing around, you know, just you and me, no problem. Yeah. You did it with our producer and you gave him one little knee to yeah. the to the butt area and look at what happened. Oh my God. He <laughs> so, sent me a picture. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> the whole side of his leg. I gave him a knee to the side of the leg blue. like a Charlie horse because he was messing with me. The whole side of his leg from his hip to his knee was black and blue. Well, I said, yeah, it's, it's funny, man. Like, um, yeah, just the pressure and the abuse. You know, you you guys, you guys. I mean, both of you guys are conditioned now to take my abuse, and I love it. That's why. That's why we're still podcast, Dave and Big John. That's they just learned to tune me out, and I actually I love the fact that we can do this. Um. Well, hey, hey guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Ricardo Lamas. Absolutely phenomenal person. Hit us up in the comments section, also in the YouTube section. Hit the thumbs up, share our videos. Um, would like you guys to post our videos all over Facebook, Twitter, you know, share it to media sources. We, uh, our numbers are growing. We thank you guys because of that. And, uh, we wouldn't be anywhere without you guys. And we are very grateful. Also hit our audio platforms up as well. Amazon podcasts, Google iTunes, uh, all these platforms we're on for our audio, trying to get our audio numbers up as well. I know that there's no traffic now, so people aren't able to really listen to the car when they're driving to work. But, uh, and those numbers will grow, I'm sure, once we get back uh, done after all the COVID situations. But we just thank you guys. Also, go to prowrestlingtees.com slash weighing in. Hit up one of those t-shirts. See what you guys, if you guys take a picture of it and post it, we will go ahead and po repost your picture as well. We thank you guys for your support. Podcast Dave, Big John McCarthy, uh, weighing in, and Josh Thompson here. We want to thank you guys so much uh, for uh, your loyalty to us. Hope you guys enjoy the, the interview with Ricardo Lawless. Thank you